Hi, welcome to the WellDoc podcast. We're medical students bringing you honest conversations with practicing physicians surrounding wellness and medicine. Thank you for joining us on this journey as we look to those in the field for direction and advice in achieving balance and wellness in our present and future lives. For this episode, we are being joined by Dr. Rebecca Martin, a family medicine doctor who specializes in palliative care at Westchester Medical Center. Join us as we learn more about how wellness incorporates a balance of being challenged and secure, and how our contributions to the world around us, even just with our presence, can contribute to our wellness. Hi, Dr. Martin. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Well Doc podcast. So I just want to start off by asking a question we ask all of our guests, which is, uh, what are three good things that happened to you this week? Yeah, thanks, Talia, so much for having me. This is a real um, honor, and it's so special to be able to, to chat with you today. So I would say one really great thing is that a friend um, helped me yesterday design the cover of my book, which is which I've been working on for a few years. And it was really exciting to see that kind of this vision realized um, after all this time. I also had my first online class this week for a semester for some coursework that I'm doing through Duke Divinity School. Um, it's a theology, medicine, and culture initiative. So that was really lovely. It's a group of people I've gotten to know well over the last um, eight months or so. And then my husband and I made Ghirardelli brownies the other day. So that was lovely too. Wow. Oh my gosh. Congratulations on your book. That's so cool. When is it coming out? Um, I'm still in the sort of heavy edit phase. So I would say probably later this year or early next year would be the goal. Got it. Okay. Super cool. Thank you for answering that question. So the next question we want to ask all of our guests is what does wellness mean to you? Yeah, you know, I've been giving this one a little thought because I feel like it's a little um, difficult to define. It's sort of ineffable. But as I was thinking about this, I feel like wellness is a state of deep flourishing that comes from a healthy tension between being stretched and challenged and being secure and affirmed. And that part of that, I think, also encompasses the ability to produce or contribute in some way to the world around you, even if it's kind of only by by being present. It doesn't necessarily mean that wellness includes you know, productivity, but um, there is something in our design that we really need and want to contribute um, or engage socially in some way. And so I think for me, that's sort of how I would think of wellness. Okay, cool. So kind of just like jumping off of that question, how does that kind of incorporate to how you see your career in medicine and also in the things that you do like outside of that? Sure, sure. That's a great question. So I had always wanted to be a physician and it wasn't necessarily to quote help people. I actually really loved sort of the biology of it. I was fascinated with the science um, and the way the human body worked. And it just felt like this amazing opportunity to plumb the depths of our physiology and our anatomy and our workings and misworkings. But I would say my mind has shifted a lot over the last decade or so of practice. And this, this kind of gets at that idea of contribution or productivity that um, to really be able to engage with and connect with people in crisis and who are suffering and who are hurting, whether that's physically or emotionally or mentally or socially, um, kind of any aspect of the pain that they're feeling. And to be able to to not only address that with the skill set that I have, which is really important, of course, um, but also to bear witness to it and to be present to it. And so in that way, I actually, I don't know if I would define it as like helping people. I still feel like that's kind of trite, but there is something about this incredible privilege, this really sacred privilege that we have to enter into that space with people in their vulnerability. And so for me, framing it that way really does help with what I would say is probably burnout prevention or resilience. 
Um, Because even when the work is hard, if it's meaningful, you know, you you feel energized to do it. My next question is, how do you unwind and what are some of your hobbies? Yeah, um, I I have a lot of hobbies, actually. I would say probably writing is the biggest one and and reading is part of that. But I do love writing. And for me, I can just get lost in that writing process for hours. I also really enjoy listening to music. I listen to a lot of Gregorian chant, especially when I'm writing. I love listening to podcasts and drinking coffee and playing those stupid iPhone games for like half an hour in the morning. That's like a big unwind for me. And then spending time with my husband and with friends, um, whether it's playing board games or watching a show like West Wing or Parks and Rec. We cook together a lot. And then actually, I, I sort of enjoy picking up new things and like stretching myself. And so I'm starting to, to learn violin, which I've always wanted to learn. I used to play the piano and I'm familiar with trumpet and guitar, but violin's always been on the bucket list. And so I, I got a violin recently and screeching out in the back room, <laughs> hoping that it will get a little bit better soon. And then I like to stay active. So walking and hiking are pretty important to me. And then when the weather is nice, I like to go cycling. I used to be a runner, but I had an injury, so I can't continue to do that. And then yoga is sort of a, a really important unwind for me, actually, um, even if it's just like a quick four minute or five minute yoga routine every day. I know you mentioned about your book before. I don't know if you're like want to talk about it or what you're allowed to talk about, um, but I'd love to hear more about that. If- sure. Yeah, it's going to be um, a memoir, kind of a spiritual and travel memoir of the two years that I spent in Nepal. I was working as a physician in rural Nepal, um, kind of about nine or 10 hours west of Kathmandu in the middle Annapurna Himalayas. And it was a time that was deeply formative and continues actually to be deeply formative personally and professionally. It was a space of enormous growth, but it was growth that came through suffering, both kind of my own uh, cultural transition and just the awkwardness and the discomfort of that, of being a cultural outsider, the pain of uh, suffering that I witnessed in disease and death and poverty at every age from infancy all the way up to older age and and in much larger scale than I'd ever seen in America. It was a space where I met God in a new way, which is kind of what makes it a spiritual memoir. But yeah, I think that's, that's a little teaser for what that's all about. Um, and I try to, to bring people along in that journey and help people locate their own story in what I've written. So hopefully I've accomplished that. Wow, that sounds super exciting. Can't wait to read it when it comes out. So this kind of relates to my next question, but I'm curious kind of what made you decide to pursue, you kind of already mentioned kind of what made you decide to pursue medicine, but specifically your specialty. And then when in your career did you go do this like two years in uh, so when I was really little, I I kind of knew from like five years old, like kindergarten, that I wanted to be a doctor. My mother was a physician and she was actually an ophthalmologist. So she modeled kind of a career life balance really well. And I really admired her. And so I wanted to be a doctor. In fact, people would joke, this is kind of a, a family lore in the Martin McAteer Martin household, but um when I was little, people would be like, oh, do you want to be an ophthalmologist like your mother? And I would say, no, I want to be a real doctor, which is hilarious because I had no idea how much actual medicine goes into ophthalmology at the time and um, how difficult it is to be an eye surgeon. So um, we still kind of chuckle about that. But um, I, I was drawn, I would say, to more broad spectrum care and this ability to sort of handle whatever walked in the door, just the ability um to be to have a skill set that could care for a very wide range of concerns over the full range of human life. Um, And that was really what drew me to family medicine initially. And then I would say the thing that cinched the deal for me was in my kind of later third year and early fourth year, I just kept meeting all of these amazing doctors that I admired and just thought they are the coolest. And that's exactly the kind of doctor I would want to be. Just really impressed with their communication skills and their knowledge. And then it it came out every time they were family medicine trained. And so that was why I became a family doctor. 
um, kind of a mix. And I always tell this to students that it's not just the content of the field. It is that, of course, but um, also the personality of the field and the people that are in it and that that makes a big difference. So for me, that was what sold Family Med. And I'm really happy that I chose the field. I wouldn't go back. Um, and in fact, speaking of global health, being um, trained in full spectrum medicine like family medicine uh, was a really um, valuable skill set to have when you're caring for such different age, age ranges um, in the developing world and needing to be independent um, and on call. Um, and so I, I found that was really a, a good thing um, to be able to offer. And as far as why I wanted to go to Nepal, it was really that um, I just kind of felt like I had been given so much in my life and given so much in terms of privilege and opportunity. And it just seemed, it just sort of felt to me unfair, like unjust really to not plow that re- that set of resources back into places in the world that were hurting. And so I called up an agency basically that does volunteer medicine and said, um, could you use a family doctor for a year? And they were like, can you come for two? So that was how I ended up there. And I figured, you know, two years is a good amount of time to learn the language and get comfortable with the culture and the medicine. And I would say it's just barely enough time to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's like amazing that you were able to find mentors that like helped you figure out which field you wanted to be in. That sounds like the dream. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was very fortunate. Mm-hmm. So when was the most stressful time in your career and how did you navigate it? Yeah, I've had a few stressful times. Um, I would say probably the most stressful time though was that time in Nepal, um, for all the reasons that I mentioned, that it was just really kind of overwhelming and overwhelming in a sustained way over many, many, many months. In addition, actually, to the earthquakes happening while I was there. And so I was involved in some of the efforts around the epicenter in the immediate days after that. And that was very stressful in itself. So in terms of how I navigated it, I would say not well. Um, I think it was a really difficult space. I don't know that many people would deal with all of that you know, swimmingly. But um, I think the things that got me through it, you know, certainly um, my faith was really important um, in that space and sort of um, learning to to pray this prayer, you know, Lord, when have you um, felt this way? And I think finding solidarity with God um, in the midst of really difficult times was very powerful. Um, and then as part of that, I think the community that was there, including um, some friends of mine, both in Nepal and friends back home that I would Skype with from time to time. And through that kind of mentorship as well, was just really helpful for reframing and getting a new perspective on what I was experiencing and kind of re-narrating it a little bit. That took a long time, actually, I think, to get to a place where I could see the value in that difficult experience. And I, I would say that the book in many ways reflects that process. But um, yeah, I would say the the role of friendship and people who know you and can reflect back to you who you are in those spaces is really important. Were there any like specific wellness practices that you use? I think for me, it's probably many of the things I do for fun anyway to unwind. So I would say a mix of music that kind of builds me up and helps me to kind of reconnect with myself and, and truth um, as I perceive it. And certainly, you know, social connection and just maintaining some like open lines of conversation with friends and just kind of connecting with them in that way. That was really important, as I mentioned during that time. Um, And then I actually, you know, running in Nepal, at the time I was a runner, um, but it's it's sort of awkward (laughs) to run um, unless there's something chasing you. You really, it's like not normal to be running, especially as a woman. And so I would either run under the cover of darkness at like 5 a.m. so that it wasn't super weird and I wasn't a spectacle in the community. But I also did a lot of yoga in a tiny little bedroom that I lived in where I could barely fit the yoga mattress on the floor, but I kind of like angled it in such a way that it mostly laid flat. 
and um, I discovered, you know, sort of the, the integration of kind of the mind, body, breath movement um, in a way that really I, I felt was calming and relaxing. And I did some meditation as well as part of that. I would just set my iPhone for 12 minutes, just kind of a random, randomly pick number. And then I would just sit in the dark on the floor and just breathe. And it's surprisingly difficult to do that, <laughs> to not let your mind just kind of run in a billion different directions. But it was a space where I could really just sit and be and not have to have anything demanded of me, which is sort of unusual, I think, in our in our world, really, right? I mean, you and I and, and you know, people in medicine really feel, I think, that there's a lot being asked of us a lot of the time. And so, yeah, that was a, a lovely little healing practice that I've gotten away from a little bit, but sometimes get back into. So you kind of already mentioned this, but if you had anything else you wanted to add, what are you involved in outside of work and how has that influenced how you view your work and career? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, two things that I got married a few years ago. And so the relationship that my husband and I have is really life-giving and um, just such a vital part of being supported in really difficult work and having a space to process that at home at night in the evenings. So cultivating our marriage has been a really important calling, I would say, um, through the last few years. Um, and in addition to that, I'm really connected with our church, uh, New Hope Fellowship in Terrytown. Um, I've been going there for, mm, oh goodness, 15 or 20 years. It's been a while, a little more than 15 years, I'd say. And I'm involved in their missions organization and embedded really in, in that community. It gives a lot of meaning to the work that I do just because I, again, you know, seeing myself as being a compassionate presence to those who suffer, that helps me to really reconnect with the power that that I discover in, in God and the ability to do that day to day and the hope that one has you know in seeing a lot of death and suffering the hope that one has that that's not necessarily the end of the story that's been really important and then also um, I've been taking these courses at Duke as I mentioned at their divinity school and uh, that's been really challenging they're really difficult courses um, it's three graduate level classes taken over the course of a year and um, very challenging coursework and a lot of reading but been allowing me to ask some really important questions I think about precisely that you know what is like what are we called to as physicians what is the meaning of our work um, and how do we do that well um, how do we really embody that compassionate presence effectively and meaningfully for ourselves and for our patients and their families. So I don't have good answers yet, but I know that that's part of why I'm spending a lot of time with the reading and the coursework. And so I'm, I'm excited to see, I think, what that, that certificate course brings. The next thing I wanted to ask is, uh, what do you like most about your job position specifically? And what have you found most rewarding? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to tell you when I get there. I'm actually between jobs right now. Um, I had worked for um, a number of years as core faculty at the Phelps Family Medicine Residency, and now I'm going to be starting as a palliative care physician at Westchester Medical Center. But I can tell you what I am most excited about in the new job and what was also most gratifying in my last position. You know, as I've already mentioned, the privilege of accompanying patients and families through their illnesses and crises, but also doing that in the context of a collaborative team that supports one another um, at our Phelps program, our faculty, was really excellent at creating designing and carrying out ways to do our work better and to support one another. And that was true both in clinical care and in the education, which I see as dual callings. So I have no doubt that that will be um, a continued privilege in this new job. And I'm really excited to, to start with that team um, at Westchester Med. So I wanted to ask, how do you manage kind of like the work-life balance? 
The answer to that is probably twofold, and they're going to seem maybe a little opposite. There's certainly a tension in the answer. And so the first is that there are times, there are seasons in life, in my experience, where you feel out of balance, like very much out of balance, right? You feel like you're working way too much. And, I, you know, certainly medical school is one of those times that continues in residency, and in fact, in many ways, gets worse in residency. Um, and then in my early attendingship, I also found that same thing to be true, that it was a period of a good, probably like almost a decade maybe not that long, but quite a while, where large periods of my time, I felt like I was not in fabulous balance. Um, You kind of like are holding it together, keeping the wheels on. But even when there's some latitude that you have, like some power over your schedule, even then, you know, it can be hard to find, you know, quote, balance or what I would say is margin, right? Like what is the healthy margin that you need? And it's very individual. Everybody needs their own window of tolerance. Um, We each have very specific Kind of parameters, I think, for ourselves. And I found, you know, to use this image of like if you're driving a car and you're going over like back and forth over the dotted lines, um, you can kind of imagine like if there was an alarm that went off every time you crossed the right line, the right dotted line, and then the left dotted line, you'd pretty quickly figure out like where is the margin, right? Like how do I stay in my lane? But in life, we really don't have those alarms going off. You only know when you know you're kind of alarming, like when you're when you're stressed, when you're feeling like you're way tapped out, and Often you can, especially, you know, when you're pretty accomplished, like people in medical school, you can kind of sustain the craziness for quite some time before you really tap out. And so I found that it was in those times of crossing the mar- the boundaries and finding that I had lost my margin um, and doing that repeatedly. Like it took a lot of, I'd say like several years before I really figured out where those lines were for me. And then to just respect them, to just say, you know, like, like at this point in practical terms, um, I try to end work at a certain time. I say, you know, somewhere around 6 p.m. I'm going to be done with work and I have to go home. What's done is done. And if it's not done, that's an act of faith as well to just say that the work will get done at some point. Um, and it doesn't all depend on me to do it today. Another thing that I found is just reserving a few nights a week where I don't have anything scheduled. I don't schedule my time right to the edges, but I almost like block out blank time. But that's been really helpful as well. So I think, you know, you figure out how much time you need. For some people, it's one day a week. For some people, it's six days a week that they need like an evening to themselves. And that's totally fine. Whatever it is for you, I think to just embrace that and to recognize that insofar as you're able to schedule your time to try to honor that. As I'm thinking about it, you know, you asked about what's rewarding in work. And I think looking at and really identifying and naming the things that are rewarding. Like for me, I'm a teacher at heart. So this is this would be an example. You know, when I see students in residence having an aha moment and they're really connecting deeply with something that maybe they've been struggling with for a while, or you see this growth trajectory as they are on their career and professional development. I think to just identify that and to sort of celebrate that and say, oh, that's really beautiful and to enjoy it and to pause for a moment and really notice it. That I think helps even when you're working hard and when things are difficult. Um, and, and you might find this even in the academic years of M1 and M2, that you might find something and just allow yourself to pause from time to time and say, wow, that is fascinating. You know, I'm struggling to understand the heart cycle. And yet in the 20 minutes that I've been spending on this paragraph, it's happened how many times? The countless times, right? Just automatically in my own body. And so I think to allow yourself to pause and just sort of enjoy and appreciate and hold in wonder some of the things that are really beautiful to you about whatever it is, whatever the hard work is that you're doing. Um, that's, a, that's a big piece, I think, about the work-life balance. Because then you don't feel like you're just waiting for your work to be done so that your life can start. By this point, you know, when you're a third or fourth year med student, you've got friends that have been out in the workforce for a while and making money for a while. And I think that can be a little demoralizing unless you realize that actually you're working now. You're not getting paid for it yet, but you're working now just like they are. And your life has 
is not on hold until you're you've got the update. Yeah, thanks for saying that. That's really helpful. So that kind of like answered my next question, but I was going to ask if there's one thing you could tell yourself as a medical student, what would it be or any advice for current students? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I'd say that's probably a big one, like really drink it up, right? Um, I mean, we I always think like we don't get a dry run at life, right? This is it. Like this is our chance. And so to sort of feel like something's on hold or waiting for something else and to lack contentment in that space is I feel like to sort of wish away sections of your life. And, you know, I think there are times where that's unavoidable, but if you can avoid it, I would, I would try because um, it does, it does feel like it makes life a little bit less enjoyable and less rich. If we, if we don't discipline ourselves to try to stay in the moment and um, just enjoy things as they come. Um, I think another piece of advice that I got actually when I was like the first week of M1 was um, don't compare yourself to other students. Like don't compare your approaches. You know, I had roommates that would be in the library for 12 hours a day and that was definitely not my approach. And I thought, oh no, like they're going to do so much better than me. And that ended up not being the case. You know, we were all kind of doing fine. Um, So I would say you do you. Like at this point, you've been through a lot of um, academics. You've proving yourself many times over the course of college and, you know, as far as you've gotten in medical school. So, you know, just trust that and trust that what you need, you know, and you can just go with that. And I think it it helps you to be a little happier and a little bit less kind of anxious. At least it helped me that way. So hopefully that's the case. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Is there something that I didn't ask you about that you wish I did? Um, well, I'll just mention the plug for our book club, that if anybody is interested, any med students at New York Med that are hearing this, um, Branch House does a book club, and we, it's definitely not exclusive to Branch House. We've had many honorary members from other houses. So um, we meet you know, three or four times a year. I'd say probably three times a year. Um, we usually pick a pretty manageable book. We vote on it as a group. So it's very egalitarian. Um, but yeah, I love hosting those. We'll sit out on our patio or here in the living room and just have wine and cheese and chat about deep things and the things that we find beautiful and challenging about our work. So if you're interested in that, send me an email, Rebecca Martin, um, and I would love to add you to our list. Uh, What are some books you've read in the past? Yeah, um, my goodness. So we've done Body of Work by Christine Montrose. We've done Tennis Partner by Abram Verghese. Strength and What Remains by Tracy Kidder. The next book we're actually planning to do is a book written by my friend and colleague Anna DeForest called A History of Present Illness. So I'm really excited about that one. Our next meeting will be um, April 18th. Um, 2023. And I'm going to send an email out to our list on that. So let me know if you want to be added to that. So thank you again for being here today. We really appreciate you taking the time. I'd like to talk to us and be on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Talia. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, It's such an important topic, I think, to really think about how do we maintain wellness and how do we um, give attention to ourselves as whole beings. And it is definitely something that I have not always been good at. And so um, having other voices and other mentors has been really important to me. And so if this can be of any any help like that to students. It's an honor. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you again, Dr. Martin, for that great discussion. We hope that this episode has got you thinking about the importance of taking time to appreciate the present moment, even while still on the journey towards our goals, and how finding balance on a personal level can contribute to our well-being. We'd like to give a huge shout out to Wilson Zhang for his awesome audio editing skills, and we'll see you next episode on the WellDog Podcast.